The minute that you get labeled a conspiracy theorist, pretty much everything that you have to say ceases to be taken seriously. The red pill is just about kind of shaking up your perception of the way that things really And on the understanding that what you've been told your entire life is a consciously constructed lie. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. The idea of Project Bluebeam is that NASA, with the help of the United Nations, was attempting to implement a new age religion with the Antichrist at its head and start a new world order via technology simulating the second coming of Christ. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. Hawkeye Media presents... Conspiracy Pill with PJ and Abby. And that's the thing about conspiracy theories is like it's sometimes they're not going to be true. And it's okay. There's literally nothing wrong with asking the questions and pulling on the threads and doing the research. It is what it is. Welcome to season two, episode five of Conspiracy Pilled, like you've never seen it before because we are not live. PJ, yeah. what happened? Uh, so we did go live for almost an hour and we had the internet cut out on us multiple times. It, I apologize to anybody who was watching. So guess what? If you are one of our amazing live viewers who come out and watch us on Wednesday nights at 7.03 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and you got to see a glitchy tech-filled issue thing you get to see all of that again and hopefully this time in crystal clear hd without any issues as we were recording this and putting this out a few hours after we normally go live so uh yeah appreciate you guys uh thank you so much for being here we have a very unhinged episode uh and if you saw the first half all once already you know that um but uh yeah we also had some news that you wanted to share with people abby yeah so you might have seen it going around on my Twitter, our Instagram, TikTok. We put it out everywhere, but in case you missed it, we chose to demonetize ourselves on YouTube. And the reason why is that they make a lot of money off of us. What is it? 30% of every super chat, 45% of all ad revenue. They're taking off the top. This is a company that hates us and everything we stand for. And it hates you. And you and us together, when you support us, we're together funding a machine that we want to defeat. And that doesn't make any sense to us. So yeah, that's, that's over. And I think that's the big thing to get across is like, we appreciate you guys so much and the support you give to this channel. And it's not that YouTube takes a bigger cut than rumble or odyssey or whoever. It's literally that we're funding a machine that takes down our videos that demonetizes people. And unfortunately, as we're seeing with a friend of ours right now, Let's people give you up to, let's say, $500 in Super Chats and then says, well, we think we're going to keep that. Uh, and that's not what you guys want. And that's what we want. And if we want to see, as we've been doing from the very beginning of the show, things like Rumble, things like Odyssey do well, where we can be say the things we want to say, do our entire show there as we always do and not have to worry about it. it makes no sense to fund the enemy of free speech it makes no sense to literally pour money into Big Brother. So we're just cutting that off at this point. Our, our shows on YouTube for the time being are going to be about a half hour. It's going to be a preview of what you guys get on rumble more so than it was before, before you got the main show, the thing that everybody gets on, uh, that are audio listeners. And that part's going to stay the same, but you know, 
and and uh, you're gonna get the whole, you're gonna get the whole thing, not just the extended part. And I don't want to diss the extended part. That's one of my favorite things we do. Again, if you're an audio yeah, listener, it's always the best. It is so much fun. We get to and tonight we don't get to do it, so it's a little disappointing. But we go over to Rumble and Odyssey. And we get to chat with people. There's memes that people are sending us. Um, gets very unhinged. It, it's one of my favorite things about doing this show. Um, but again, if you're an audio only listener, I get it. I drive truck for a living. So you can go to conspiracypill.locals.com and get the full audio version that includes that part as well. Uh, but YouTube's just not going to get our our money anymore and they're not going to get uh, our full content. So that is the big announcement going forward. Now we are prepared to get totally unhinged for the second time tonight. Uh, Abby didn't even get to hear the full the full yeah. unhingedness because it's my week to be a little crazy. I'm going to pay attention this time. I promise. <laughs> She'll pay attention this time. Okay. So this thing, <laughs> we're going to be going all over the place. Aliens, vampires, Nephilim, the whole deal. I'm telling you, it's all here. If you're a conspiracy fan, there's something in here for you. Uh, but I think that in order to understand this episode, there's a question that I'm going to pose at the beginning, and it comes from Matthew 24, 37. It says, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. And, you know, sounds interesting. Like, oh, Noah's days were bad. So bad they had to have a flood. And that's what it'll be like in the end times. But I think to really understand what that means, we have to actually understand in a more than in a general context, what were the days of Noah really like? And I think this was uh, one of our listeners, Ryan. I want to get this right. I think Ryan Baird sent this to me. Appreciate you for reaching out and sending me this really crazy thread uh, that is not what I'm exactly following, but it got me down this rabbit hole because it started off with the 2008 Human Fertilization Embryology Act. So if you're not familiar, this is an act like you would be. <laughs> this is an act of parliament of the United Kingdom. The act constitutes a major review and update of the Human Fertilization and Embryology Act of 1990. So again, boring. It doesn't make sense, right? Like who cares? Well, the update was the important part. And the update, and this is a quote from, from uh, the, the act itself. It says, to ensure regulation of human admixed embryos created from a combination of human and animal genetic materials for research. What is that? What does that mean, Abby? Combining human and animal DNA in an embryo? Yes, literally creating hybrid human animal hybrids was put into law in the United Kingdom. And, you know, I made a little bit of a TikTok on this before real, whatever you call it on these different things. And some people were like, this is from the Daily Mail. This is crap. Well, I, I just just to prove you guys that it's not just the Daily Mail, you know, whatever thoughts you have on that website. Uh, this comes from the Business Insider. I'm just going to read from this for a moment. So it's uh, British scientists have secretly created more than 150 human animal hybrids. This was in 2011, three years after the act was passed. And it says that the legislation, uh, the, 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 the legalized this legalized, if I can speak, this legalized the creation of a variety of hybrids, including an animal egg fertilized by a human sperm or cybrids in which a human nucleus is implanted into an animal cell and chimeras in which human cells are mixed with animal embryos, literally calling them chimeras, which is the, the greatest part of that. It's just like call back to when the Greeks uh, were speaking of all these monsters roaming the earth. That sounds like a good thing to create, right? So about chimeras... With Greece, you have things like the Minotaur, right? You have usually it's two animals melded together into some sort of monster that was known generally as being a bad thing. But you know what's sorry, go ahead. That just gave me a thought. Yeah, but in today's literature, 
we, we talk a lot about, you know, vampires in today's, especially young adult literature, werewolves, all of these fairies, all these demonic creatures being the romantic leads of these stories. But there, there is one very popular series by Lainey Taylor called Daughter of, the Daughter of Smoke, I guess it's the Smoke and Bone series. The first one's Daughter of Smoke and Bone. Anyway, it's chimeras fighting angels. And the chimeras are the good guys. If there's a demonic crossbreed, a woman has wrote a romance, teeny romance novel about it. That's that's yep. what I'm learning. So, And not just one, but <clears throat> the most popular books in the genre, the most widely read, widely talked about, they all are either, you know, vampire, werewolf, fairy, chimera. It's because these artists are on to something. Like, that's the thing. I think people don't realize just how much knowledge is in fiction and how much they're, like, actually predicting things that are to come. I mean, we talk about it when it's 1984 because that was written in the 40s and now we can see how that's played out. But we don't think that like artists are still doing this all the time. That's why I think modern fiction, sometimes I read this and we're going to be talking about uh, one of my favorite authors, Larry Correa, later today. How many things he's he wrote about in his books and I'm like, oh crap, I'm seeing these things happening now. And it was just this kind of silly popcorn you know, fiction novel that I, that I love, the Monster Hunter series. But you're, I think you're exactly right. I think it's important. What, what stuck out to me was calling them chimeras when, like you said, in Greek times, that would be a mixture of animals. And we'll get into what chimeras are, what the Greeks said they were in a minute. But like, it seems like that is important that they're equating humans and animals. To me, that seems important because I I think we see this all the time. We're just another animal. We're 80, 90 some percent the same as chimps. You know, like this whole thing that we're no different, uh, you know, very Darwinian uh, atheistic mindset that I think is flawed. Um, but continue on this article to get to the point that I want to get to is, uh, right here. We have, uh, someone giving their opinion on what this is. And it says, regardless of the benefits, British politician, Lord Alton told Par- parliament quote, I argued against the creation of human animal hybrids as a matter of principle. None of the scientists who appeared before us could give us any justification in terms of treatment. Ethically, it can never be justifiable. It discredits us as a country. It is dabbling in the grotesque. I like this guy. At every stage, the justification from scientists has been, if only you allow us to do this, we will find cures for every illness known to mankind. This is emotional blackmail. Have we heard that line a few times before? If only you let us do this. It is so common. It's it's like, let us do the thing we want or bad things will happen to you or the world will get swallowed in fire and, and all the ice will melt and your grandmother will die and your child will commit suicide if you don't let us do what we want. Let us what? mutilate your kid or they'll kill themselves. Yeah. Let us take away your gas guzzling car or the sun will kill us all. Let us <laughs> mask up the population and jab experimental vaccines into people or you'll kill your grandmother. It's it's the same and this was in 2011. They're a little bit ahead of their time but that is exactly where everything's it is not, it's not even ahead of their time. Yeah, it's Europe, right? But like, I guess it's not ahead of their time. We've seen this throughout history, but it's just very interesting. That is like the thing everybody's bought into now is like this fear, this emotional blackmail that he's talking about, um, which I find interesting. And I had this little side tangent, this thing that it made me think of when it comes to emotional blackmail and how we've seen that played out. Because like the point of this thing, they're saying that the justification for this is if we mix humans and animals together, we can study them for viruses, right? Like that's the whole point, supposedly. By the way, I know some people will say this. So I'm just going to say this right now. People will say, because I've seen the comments on the, the other video I made about this. Well, they're they're just 
killing these grotesque abominations like weeks after they're made. Why is that good to you? Like, why is that okay to you? They make abominations and then kill them. I don't know what your problem is. I'm like, that's yeah. pretty disgusting, dude. It's like, it's not happening, but when it happens, <laughs> they kill it immediately and it's good. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, I've had like 50 comments saying, well, they kill these things. It's like, first of all, if you trust that that is happening and if it is, it's still wrong. It's still very like, wrong. Like ask morally, yourself never why right. they feel like they need to kill it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe because I saw the movie Splice or Sweet Tooth or something like that. Yeah, yeah. When did we start? Like, I am not an old person, right? I'm 28. You're 32. You're old. You're, I'm old. You're yeah. ancient, but uh, we don't have to talk about that. But I remember when everybody, the collective consciousness of our entire society was aware of what things in science we were simply not going to do. And now we're doing all of them. Yeah. And again, the comment section, when you post this stuff, like not even jokingly, people are like, no, like this is good. Like the things in this, like we should be doing these things. And it's crazy. There's some, I, I don't think I pulled this article up. There's an article where somebody's justifying it going, we actually, we should, Oh no, you know, it'll come up later. But someone's basically saying we should do the things in the sci-fi movies. They were just telling us how not to do it wrong. You know, like we should still do those things. Real sci-fi horror, <laughs> fl- horror flicks have never been tried. Right, right. That's what it is. Uh, yeah. But so my side tangent here, sorry, that was a side tangent on a side tangent is that if you're mixing for, for the purpose of virus is what they're saying. If you're mixing human embryos with, let's say like a bat, like bat DNA, would you not in besides getting a literal creepy version of Batman, would you not be making the viruses transmissible? Like that's the whole thing that that's sticking out to me because you know, let's say there's a virus in a bat and then it's a human bat. So it's, it's close enough to a bat that it can get that. And then it, but it's learning the human DNA and then it can go to humans. Maybe we saw that happen like a, a wet market and there'd be this whole like pandemic thing about it. Um, but the reason I think this is really plausible is because the scientists tell us it is right now we're hearing about the recursion of the avian influenza and specifically they're worried about it because it's getting into mink farms and minks are mammals and mammals humans are mammals. So they're saying, Oh, you know that last time we told you to freak out about the the bird flu and it didn't really kill anybody. And we still made a bunch of movies and fear about it. Now it, when it happens, it'll probably kill you because now it's transmissible to mammals and they're basically telling us what the next virus that they created is going to be. Um, so I'm just saying like to me, if anything, this doesn't sound like a way to cure viruses. It sounds like a way to make viruses. And that's not the point I'm getting to with this episode, but I thought it was important to bring up. Um, but yeah, so despite despite what you read about with the UK, this is not actually the first time this thing has happened. We actually had this happen before in during the Cold War because <laughs> everything, everything bad comes out of the Cold War initially. Uh, the Russian government once funded scientists quest to make an ape human hybrid in 1926. This is what happened. (laughs) Either the Russian government did a horrific thing or we thought the Russian government might be doing a horrific thing or we wanted to. So we just said that they were probably doing it and we used all of that as an excuse to do it harder. Exactly. That's what MK ultra was because you're not hearing the MK ultra stories of Russia as much as you are about us Uh, project. um, uh, We just talked about this operation Stargate project Stargate. You know, we just talked about that. That's another one where they're like, the Russians might be remote viewing. So we're definitely, definitely going to remote view. And in that case, we were doing it first, actually, which is the funniest part of that. But 
Uh, anyway, yeah, but yeah, so it's it's gone on throughout history, and we're going to talk about some ancient uh, possibilities of this happening before. I wanted to talk really quickly about the justifications a little bit more because the BBC really wants to justify this thing, of course, and I just I find their imagery too funny. Uh, in a dark kind of way. So this this article from BBC.com, the uneasy truth about <laughs> human-animal hybrids. And of course, they put a freaking horn goat man demon gargoyle at the top of their article. Like, Which, can we just talk about how were. gargoyles are on all of this old architecture? Like, like people they carved this thing. Something. Yeah, they carved it over and over as if, A, it was a thing that existed, and B, it was like, Something you'd want on your churches. I mean, it's on Notre Dame. Yeah. Like there's gargoyles on, on, it's I, it weird. doesn't make any sense to me. Well, it's almost like, you know, in one sense, it reminds me of dragons. It's like every culture that never talked to each other has dragons. Every culture that never talked to each other has a flood myth. Like maybe there's some truth to these things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's I think un- the same with gargoyles and, you know, hooved men people. It's unclear to me whether gargoyles fall into the dragon category <laughs> or the like demon category they, they they seem to sit right in the middle that i've definitely seen some kind of people say well this so, is just the english dragons it's a good question and remind me of that when we get towards the end of the episode because i think i might have something to explain it okay so uh real quick from the bbc they say merging animals and human uh merging animal and human forms brought terror to our ancestors and this fear persists right now in our way in the modern age in Greek mythology, the chimera is a monstrous fire-breathing creature, typically described as having the head of a lion with a snake as a tail and the head of a goat emerging from its back. Like, that is such an odd thing. Like it makes you wonder, like, how do people come up with a goat head coming? Like that's the chimera, like, was always weird to me. Um, just to terrorize the minds of Greeks, this vision also caused much consternation regarding the successful creation of the first human pig hybrid embryos at the Salk Institute in California. So I looked into that. Not only this thing didn't stop in the UK as much as people are like old news. That was 2011 uh, was the other main comment I got. Dude, this happened in 2016 in California and they're continuing the research all over the world. Like there's actual articles from the Pentagon saying we have no idea what they're doing with this in China, but we're worried about it. So so literally doing the same thing as with Russia, right? Exactly. It's Cold War (laughs) 2.0. Of course they are. They did it with every COVID thing. They did it with like the the surveillance state thing. Like again, sorry, not trying to get on too many side tangents, but I often tell people like I'm less worried about TikTok stealing my data like than Instagram doing it. And people justify, well, you know, I mean, the U.S. government needs our data. I'm like. Well, I don't, I, I guess I don't understand yeah. that, you know, like t- what's China going to do with it. That would be worse for me than what America is going to do with stealing my data. I mean, America, th- I mean, okay. I live here. I don't live in China. You know, America's taking our data, using it to control us and then literally selling it to China. They're That's only, the other thing too. Yeah. The only reason the TikTok ban is going to go through if it goes through is that bipartisanly America just doesn't like it that China is cutting out the middleman. They want the money. <laughs> I, that's it's exactly it what it is. The politicians do not care about stealing your data. Yeah, and they don't care about, about China spying on you. No, they don't. <laughs> they don't. So down in this article, it starts to give all these justifications. I'm just going to read the first one because it's so insane that this is the way that they school marm you into. Why don't you do the thing we like? 
it's uh so here's the first complaint it's against nature well yeah it is like that's not a bad complaint but that's how they treat it many of us are like six-year-olds who turn their nose up at the idea of mixing their broccoli with their mashed potatoes (laughs) it's 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 just so school marmy like if you don't think that we should make pig people then you are just yeah you're just a six-year-old you're not like let the adults talk as we do all the things in every sci-fi horror film ever made if you have an ounce of wisdom you're a child but that's what it comes down to is that true wisdom is rooted in the fear of god and they hate god so of course they're gonna hate any ounce of wisdom well that's what this whole thing comes down to like as you read on it says stuff like uh, well, right here, like humans and mice have 90% of the same DNA. I, I talked to our, uh, to Jess, our chemistry friend. She's like, yeah, I'm like, Jess, this is wrong, right? That's not, that's not true. She's like, no, that's bullshit. I'm like, I know it is like everybody knows it is. Everybody knows like it's not 10% of your DNA that turns you from this tiny little four legged furry creature to a, you know, opposable thumb bipedal thinking being like that's retarded. And everybody knows it's retarded, but it's like it's one of those things that they say to make themselves feel comfortable. Again, yeah. humans and animals are no different. You know, just like like imagine believing that we're basically the same as a mouse. It, no, like how <laughs> it's it's one of those things that's it's so dumb you actually have to be smart to to believe it. You know what I mean? And yep. it's the same like it's the same thing. I feel like I've always been a little bit impervious to bullshit. And I remember when I was a kid, they told me that 98% of DNA was junk DNA. I was second or third grade or something like that. And I was just like, there's no way that's true. I'm like 98%. It just means you don't know what it is. Turns out we're finding out. Oh yeah. We just don't know what that is. We just don't know what it is. Just say you don't know, but they can't say they don't know because they have to be the adults in every room and school marm you until you're stupid for not wanting to mix your mashed potatoes with your broccoli. And it's also because because they believe in a faulty theory, which is evolution, they're like, well, junk DNA makes sense within that framework. So, of course, we're going to say this is junk DNA. Of course, we're going to say your appendix is vestigial or whatever because they right. need there to be vestigial things. They need there to be junk de- DNA. It, it well, it's the only way that evolution makes sense is that it was like so many right. random tries and like something worked and we just held on to this stupid crap. And as they're finding out, again, like things like evolution, like Darwinian evolution, uh, things like multiverse theory and things like that, they fall apart with real science. But then, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson is, you know, popular because he drops a mic on the stage or something. Uh, (laughs) I'll stop. I'll stop with the Neil deGrasse Tyson stuff. But I think in order to understand all of this, we actually have to go back further than the Cold War and we have to really go back to, to ancient times. And one of our most popular episodes, the Hillary Clinton Nephilim DNA stuff, we we touched on some subjects that I wanted. I said at the time, I'm like, I'm still digging into this stuff. I still want to understand it more. Uh, so I've d- been doing that. And we've been talking about this all week. So you kind of know where I'm going with some of these things. But I've got a lot of disparate pieces to pull together before we can get to the, yeah. to the conclusion that I'm trying to make. So Bear with me if you're watching or listening and it seems like it's a little all over the place. I, I promise you it's it's coming to a point. So the first thing I want to do is go back to the book of Enoch a little bit. And we've talked about this a little bit, but I think that it's important. I think it's important we give our, our, our opinion on it again uh, quickly. And that is basically that I, I believe that this is a biblically endorsed extra biblical text, the same way that Jubilees and Jasher is, and all of those are going to come into play in how they agree with and fill in parts of the Bible. And the reason I say that I think it's biblically endorsed 
as some people will say, well, just mentioning it doesn't mean that they're, but the, it's the way they mention it. It's the authority with which it's mentioned in Jude by Jesus, by Peter, um, Jasher and Jubilee in the old Testament where they're like, we, we know this is true because it's written here. So at least where it's saying this is fact. And this is, you know, if, if the Bible is the inerrant word of God, and if, if you don't think that, then this, this episode's still going to be interesting. Cause I think historically all this context is going to be important, but like, I think when it's saying we have the authority to say this because it's written here, I think that is telling us that what it's saying is true and that they're agreeing with it. And they're just like saying, I don't have to rehash this thing that we all know right? because it's written about here. Um, yeah. So if, if you believe the Bible is the word of God, then you don't have to believe that these other books are God breathed, inerrant, all of that right. to recognize that they are historically important and probably mostly accurate, especially when they confirm each other. When you have all these corroborating sources that are all very old, um, in the same way that historians accept accounts by Homer and by Virgil um, about the war in Troy possibly w- to the exclusion of all the supernatural bits, but they accept that as, as pretty clearly historical account. Right. And so we can take these extra biblical books and treat them like that. And if you don't believe the Bible, you can still treat the Bible as a historical account because it's been proven correct historically on time so and time and time points. again. I mean, even if you don't believe God wrote it and that it's religiously true, it's still probably the best historical account of that time period that you could point to. There's a, there's a book I've brought up before called is atheism dead and it's three parts. One of them's uh, you know, creation science type stuff. And then one of them is historical. And if you're interested in that, like the, I think it's the second third of this book really just talks about like, Hey, we knew this in the Bible. Nobody believed it. Then they found out, Oh yeah, that's true. And it's happened so many times that it's impossible to not take at least large portions of the Bible and say this is historical and pretty accurate, more accurate than a lot of other historical. And also to, to, to that other point, like Josephus, like Christians take Josephus and go like, this is a, you know, not even just Christians. Everybody takes Josephus and says, this is a, the most accurate first century yeah. historian that we have. And he's agreeing with a lot of the accounts that we're going to bring up here. Um, including by the way, did you know that Josephus talked about how there were giant bones on display in his time that you could go see it like museums and stuff. I didn't know that. That Isn't is that really crazy? cool. Yeah, yeah. So uh, going back uh, again, before we get to Enoch, Genesis 6, 12 uh, says, and God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And I think that's important because I know some people like to, to disagree with the, uh, the idea of Nephilim say it's sons of Seth, which is not true. We, we know that the way that they talk about the sons of God is specifically referred to as angels in other parts of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's pretty clear what it's talking about, but what it's saying is that it corrupted all flesh and that Noah and his family were the not corrupt flesh. And that's why they were allowed to stay on the ark. Um, basically the idea that when the fallen angels came down and had sex with human women and created Nephilim, and it, that's important distinction between fallen angels and Nephilim. Nephilim are human angel hybrids. They're not angels. Uh, that's, that's going to be important later. But it's talking about this like whole corruption of DNA, and we'll we'll talk about some of that later. But what I find interesting is that in Enoch, it goes further, and it talks about possibly, and again, possibly, take this with a grain of salt if there's different translations, possibly the idea that animal DNA was corrupted as well. So I'll read you this part. It says, uh, talking about the, the Nephilim, 
says who consumed all the acquisitions of men. It's, it's talking about the Nephilim getting too big, essentially. Uh, it says who consumed all the acquisitions of men. And when men could no longer sustain them, the giants turned against them and devoured mankind. And they began to sin against birds and beasts and reptiles and fish and devour one another uh, and devour one another's flesh and drink the blood. So two, two interpretations of this one is they started eating humans. Then they started eating animals. Then they ate each other. And I, it seems fair to make that, but it, it really bothers me that it, it changes narrative here and says they began to sin against the birds and the beasts and the reptiles. It's hard for me to see that as eating animals, considering this was already permitted in this time. It doesn't sound like a great sin in the way that this word is speaking of like an abominable sin right. against. It sounds more like the way it speaks about the abominable sin of crossbreeding that took place between the angel, the fallen angels, mm-hmm. the 200 watchers and humankind. And we know in all accounts, and this is backed up by Peter uh, again, if you don't believe the Enoch story, Peter reiterates it. And he says that this punishment was so vast and so terrible that they locked the tight. They, they locked the Nephilim, these fallen angels or the watchers, sorry, the fallen angels into Tartarus. And I know the Bible translates it in some cases as hell, but the actual original word is Tartarus, which to me is important because it's in my mind, at least Peter confirming that the Greek stories about Titans are their retelling of Enoch. Yeah. And the watchers. Yeah. The crossover between the way that the Bible describes hell and the way that, I mean, the Bible uses like death and Hades to describe hell in, in the new Testament, um, kind of confirming the, the Greek conception of the way that hell was structured, which would be, which is confirmed many times between like Sheol and where the angels are locked down. Right. And, yeah, yeah. There's three stages in the yeah. Greek conception. There's what I think the fields of Asphodel, which is the, it's not really heaven, but it's the good place to go. Um, but it's still kind of dark. Mm-hmm. And then, and then your Hades, your middle spot. And then, and then Tartarus for the, right big baddies. Right. And I think a lot of Christians still believe this idea. Like if you, if you read revelation that we're not actually taken up to heaven until that final judgment. So that idea of the, the fields or whatever you want to call it. I know, I know a lot of Christians still believe in that idea. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I think that's important with the way that Peter talks about it. But what do you think about this idea of like sinning against the flesh of animals? Does it yeah. sound, does it sound just like eating them? Cause I don't, I, it's hard for me to read it that way. It, it it can't be eating them because these entire I mean at this stage in history you don't have vegetarianism that's not a thing that works no we can do that now because we're rich enough to have options the first time I think the Bible even mentions vegetarianism is within the court of Nebuchadnezzar where it's like this very rich king where vegetarianism is an option and also the they don't do it <laughs> like the, the Jews don't, don't. do it because they, they're yeah. yeah. Oh, and and it's looked upon as like this will make you very sick. And Daniel and his friends are like, we can't eat the meat that's been sacrificed to idols. We're going to have to be vegetarian. Or you're right. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Most of the people didn't do it, but when I said they don't do it, I meant sorry. I meant that they didn't eat the consecrated food. But that was meat. You're right. I had that backwards. But but even but even in that point, it was like you could just eat vegetables, but that's really bad for you. Like you have to eat meat. So. <laughs> um, it's definitely not. I mean, th- these cultures were 
herdsmen primarily. Exactly. Um, they they're not even growing massive crops. So that doesn't work. Also, it doesn't work because the pre previous text when it says they consumed all the acquisitions of men, it's talking about the men who are farming right. goats and herds for them and they're eating their herds. Right. Then they eat the men, then they sin against animals. It's like, well, eating the I don't know, it's Yeah. But it makes me think we have a conversation kind of cropping up in our modern discourse of like, is it bad to have sex with animals? Question mark. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, further beyond, I mean, this is the thing too. Like I want to, I want to point this out really quick. This is not in my notes, but like the area where, you know, all of these ites that we're going to get into these, these Nephilim descendants that we're going to talk about in a minute, the area they come from is like where the Greeks got their mythology for, uh, why can't they like bull men, what minotaurs and things like that, right? Yeah. Or whatever they yeah. call them. So it's interesting to me that like all of this mythology about these ha- half human hybrid things that the Greeks have come from the areas of these Nephilim descendants that, that, uh, they are going around having all these wars. We'll talk about that in a minute. I'm tr- getting a little off track, but I do think there's some interesting, uh, I got to find this really quick. There's some interesting like correlation between history and uh, or what the Bible's saying here. And like, I lost the page. So it doesn't matter. I'll just go off my memory, but between what the, what this story is essentially telling us and uh, fossil records and things like that. So we've got like these 12, there's a 20 foot tall sloth. There's a 12 foot wide crab, you know, including the legs, but still like these huge animals they found in history. Uh, that don't seem to be like a, and maybe they're, I don't know. It doesn't matter because I'm not sure I believe all the carbon dating and yeah. stuff like that. It's a whole nother episode. My point is we know there was giant, massive, huge animals in the past. Titanoboa, this like 60 foot long snake. Uh, there's lots of examples. 12, uh, 12 inch wide, 18 inch wide. I think dragonflies, things like this we've seen in the past. So this idea of these massive weird creatures is not outside of, of reality. Uh, as much as we're told things like the square cube law, which we can talk about later. Um, I have some notes on that, but my point is it does seem at least plausible with fossil records and things like that. Um, and, and, and the idea of them growing, because that's the thing, I'm sorry if people are a little lost. Nephilim are giants. Like that's the thing that was talked about is they were, you know, creation of, of angel and human, but they became giants. And a lot of places we'll talk about, uh, that words, the words just get translated to giant all the time. So we're going to break that down in a minute, but it, this actually led me to, to some stuff about ligers. That's going to be important in this again, bringing in some disparate threads here, but uh, how familiar are you with, with like ligers and things like that? Like it sounds made up, but they are real. Yeah. I remember when it first happened when they, the first one was born and I was like, Holy crap, they can do that. And oh, everyone talked about it for a little bit and then no one talked about it anymore. <laughs> Yeah, it was cool for like five minutes. It got like a, a line yeah. in Napoleon Dynamite. And then, yeah. <laughs> but with the Lig- one movie I've seen in my life. The one movie you've seen. Yeah. yeah. And I so, hated it. <laughs> fair. You know, it's uh, side. <laughs> I hated it. And then I was like, what the hell did I just watch? And I was thinking about it. I'm like, I'm going to watch it again. I watched it twice in the same day because I was like, that was terrible. And then I watched it again and laughed my ass off. I have no idea why. It's not a good movie. But it's That's like, what happened with me in Princess Bride. I hated it the first two times I watched it. And then I was like, okay. Yeah, it's a good movie good. though. Yeah. It is a good movie. I like it now. So, so with Ligers, what's interesting about them is they are made in a very specific way. They're made with a male lion and a female tiger, never the other way around. 
And do you know why that's important? Why it has to be the male tiger and the female or male lion and the female tiger? It's something about the growth hormone, right? So yes. Yeah, so neither neither the male lion or the female tiger have a growth inhibitor gene. So the genes that get passed on to their offspring for the lions comes from the female and for the tigers comes from the male. But if it's the other way around, they don't have a growth inhibitor gene to pass on to their children. Therefore, the offspring will never stop growing. Uh, ligers eat like 50 pounds of meat a day or something like, like some unsustainable in the wild type thing, um, which is interesting because that's talked about again in Enoch, like where they couldn't sustain because they're just too big. Uh, but yeah, so like that's an interesting thing to me. Like, it makes me feel like scientifically this idea of because this get asked this gets asked of me a lot. Like, uh, you know, these things grew depending on which story you're reading, like these massive, huge sizes. And how could that have come from a human woman? It's in those times people were living to be eight, nine hundred years old. If you believe the accounts, if they had no growth inhibitor, inhibitor gene, like imagine how big they would get because that's the thing with ligers, yeah. like they, they just keep growing. Uh, the one that I saw a video of uh, when I was doing my research was 900 pounds, just freaking huge. This is what I've heard about. Basically, all reptiles don't stop growing at any right. point. They just usually die before they get really big. But you do hear those stories about anacondas or crocodiles or something that get just stupid big. Do you think that's like where the idea of dragons could come from is like these yeah. ancient lizards just never stopped just growing? Just never stopped growing. Well, I think that that's what happens. I think that there were conditions Well, if humans world, could live to be eight or 900 years before like the earth was corrupted. The, and, yeah. yeah. Presumably the animals were also living that long. I think that's entirely possible. Like if you're going to accept that, that, you know, air quality and all these things were different enough that people could live so long uh, and then it, you'd have to presume the animals could. And if lizards don't have a growth inhibitor gene, that would make sense to me. Yeah. Um. So, so I think that's important because, you know, it explains that part, but then it led me to this stuff about epigenetics and really quick with epigenetics. I'll try to explain it the best I can, but uh, first definition you get on like Google is epigenetics is a study of how your behaviors and environment can cause changes that affect the way your genes work. Unlike genetic changes, epigenetic changes are reversible and do not change your DNA sequence, but they can change how your body reads a DNA sequence. So another quicker, like bite-sized explanation is epigenetics change. Epi epigenetic changes are modifications to DNA <clears throat> that regulate whether or not genes are turned on or turned off. And this is interesting for a few reasons. One we've talked about a little bit on other times is this idea of generational sin that's talked about in the Bible. It's almost like the Bible is like ahead of it, you know, thousands yeah. of years ahead of science where it's like, because in these studies, for example, they had a mouse, uh, they were studying mice and a, I can't remember the name of it, but there's a certain gene that gets flipped on and off um, depending on how the mother lives, does things like there's something that she can do in a physical action that she can do that will make her offspring turn yellowish and fat. So it's like <laughs> the sins of the mother yeah. carry on to to the to the, you know, however many generations we, we see this. We see this and we talk about this. There's some things that we see and talk about and there's some things that we don't. Like we see how addiction gets passed mm -hmm. down. That's well established. Um, we're starting to establish. And if I'm right, isn't addiction an epigenetic change like a flipped yeah. on? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Addiction's epigenetic. But, but we also see kind of this thing that's also referred to as genetic memory where some of uh, what I was taught, the animals just have instincts and it was just never explained it's just like they just have instincts 
but it's it's conveniently a lot of things are just never explained when they are yeah yeah no i agree memory it's how else would a turtle know to go do these long you know how would birds know to migrate things like that a great example of this is during the cold war when the berlin wall was up you had deer populations that were separated by the wall and to this day those two herds of deer if you track them they will never they will never cross the line oh okay for whatever reason so you're saying that roads just haven't been up long enough <laughs> no just kidding that for whatever reason it seems that there's some sort of fear response that was built in back then with the barbed wire and the guns and all of that that has been passed along via genetic memory and i think that this sort of thing explains phobias like mm-hmm. people who are just scared of something for no reason they've never had anything that like gave them that fear they don't have a reason to be afraid of it they just are i think that that's where that comes from that would make a lot of sense i i think we have to really dive into uh genetic memory on an episode because i haven't done a lot of research into it but just like logically it just makes so much sense it just seems like it, it is there it is a thing and i think it's the only way you can really explain a lot of the creatures uh that that again just do these crazy intricate things with never being yeah. taught so, um, but this idea of, of epigenetic changes, I was thinking about because we talked about Nimrod on that episode, the last time we talked about Nephilim. <clears throat> and what it says about Nimrod is that he became a giant. So to explain a little bit, because uh, the second incursion theory is kind of important here. And the idea is you had Nephilim in the time of Noah. You obviously have Nephilim after the Bible says they were there in the times of Noah and they were there afterwards. Um, so the only ways to think of there's I, I there's actually three ways to think about this i think people are a little disingenuous in this so i'll, I'll give all three uh the one is a second incursion meaning the angels didn't get the idea that being locked in tartarus is bad the first time so they came back and had sex with human women again uh there's nowhere in the bible this makes sense and actually i'll show you in a place where it, it pretty much disproves it in a little bit um the other way is that one of noah's son's wives had a recessive gene and it was passed on to her kids and maybe through something like epigenetics or just, you know, recessive traits that sometimes pop up like red hair. uh, Certain people became Nephilim. This is why you see no Nephilim in Shem's line, which is the Semitic line. And then there's uh, Ham's line. And then there's, I forget the third Jophith or something. Japheth. Yeah. Japheth. Yeah. So like there's some in one, there's a bunch in another and there's none in the third line. And I think this actually makes so much sense why the Bible is so particular on genealogies and yeah. all of this that we're going to be talking about. Actually it's, it's opened my whole mind up to like, Oh, now I get it. It's not just yeah. to track Jesus. Cause they take, there's all other kinds of genealogies in there as well. Um, yeah. I think that this is why the intermarrying was so important. This is why genetic lines were so important. This, I think that is why the Jews were God's chosen people because they were not infested with his Nephilim DNA. Like the Semitic lines were not infested with the Nephilim yeah. DNA. Yeah, and it was such a big deal in the Old Testament that there's this one point where this prophet Balaam from another nation encourages Jewish men to sleep with women of the surrounding nations, and God's Mm. just like, kill them all. Like, kill the men who slept with them, kill the women. And, And this is something that always bothered me, and I think bothered a lot of people as one of those common reasons why people lost their faith because they had this question and, and nobody could answer it of like, why was God so brutal in this in this time period? Why did he tell Israel to go in and kill them? Not just the men, mm-hmm. but the women and the children too. Um, 
That's actually and the animals. That whole thing is later in my notes. We'll, we'll, we'll circle back to it in a minute, but yeah, I think this ex- entirely explains it. And I, I I'm going to save the whole thing on it later. Cause it ties into a few other things I'm saying, but okay. yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. I think that, you know, there there's laws of war in the five books of Moses and God tells them to break them only when dealing with Canaanites, Amalekites, all these other mm-hmm. ites that we will see, uh, are, are yeah. Nephilim. They're, they have that DNA in them at least. Yeah. Um, but to, in order to understand that I, and some other things, I'm going to bring in one, one other, uh, thread that'll, that'll make sense later. And that is this idea of fallen angels versus demons. And I know we've talked about this uh, off air a little bit. I had heard this growing up. You said you hadn't, but like growing up, I had been told, well, fallen angels are not demons, not the same thing, but no one ever told me why, like where are demons? What, where do they come from? Cause I just right. assumed like these, you know, you have angels and you have demons. So the people who rebelled against God were sent down and they were, they were demons. They were like, you know, the whole, um, uh, paradise lost idea, right? Like they yeah. have their kingdom in hell and they reign from there and they're demons and then they're opposed to the angels. But I was told a lot of times in the church I grew up in, that's just not true. No explanation. Interesting. Um, but the idea that I want to put forth, well, first of all, I want to understand where that comes from. So, cause you had been taught, taught basically that angels and or fallen angels and demons are the same. Thing. We're the same. I was, so what it sounds like is that I, I was taught basically a very low view of demons. Basically Lucifer is really big and evil, right? But he's still a demon. And then all the other demons are just little. They're just poltergeists. They're just annoyances. They're not right. anything to be worried about. Poltergeist you- might be accurate where I'm going with this, but go ahead. Yeah. Um, I was definitely brought up in a way that we weren't being concerned with the spiritual world was not was frowned well, upon. Yeah. We we've, we've talked about this a million times. Western culture has taken spirituality out of Christianity. And I think that yeah. that's I we, mean, we were yeah. literally in Africa as missionaries <clears throat> and more aware of what was going on, but because of you saw demonic in, worship everywhere, right? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I saw we were, it in Haiti. Yeah, I've I've seen a demon possessed person mm-hmm. um, flailing in a in a church aisle, yeah. but it was something <clears throat> that made us very uncomfortable. Made my parents very uncomfortable because it, even though we were seeing it with our own eyes, it counteracted our worldview. And I I don't think my parents knew how to expand out. Um, I'm sorry if my parents are watching or listening. I mean, I think you know that this is true at, at the time. I don't even know if it's their fault. Like it's it's no. really just how every everyone was raised. Like a certain yeah. side of my family just no, do not talk about this. My other side of my family is like open yeah. to talking about this stuff. But like you don't talk about this stuff. You just yeah. you know. And I think the church has been cowed into that. Like we were told miracles exist, but they stopped at the time of Jesus, even though he had the great commission and told us to go and do healings and cast out demons. Uh, I don't buy that at all. It's my point. Like, I don't think, I don't think the spirituality went away. I think we've tried to push it off. And unfortunately as Christians, like that is why I think the other pagan religions are such a draw for yeah. people because they see the spiritual exists and they're not yeah. being told that at church. And that's unfortunate. Yeah, they're, they're, I think that the pretending it doesn't exist, mm-hmm. like you have the answer for it, yeah. but you're still pretending it doesn't exist. It's so wrong. Yeah. I yeah. think that, yeah, there's just that discomfort. My parents weren't lying about it, but there there was just that discomfort in those conversations. It's still uncomfortable for people, and I, I want to change that. I really hope we yeah. these conversations can be a part of changing that. Um, but I want to get I want to get to the idea of where that 
idea of fallen angels came from. And there's a guy named Dr. Basil Martin uh, at Yale who wrote about this. Just a little clip of what he said. He said, the Christian myth that equated fallen angels with demons arose in the second and third centuries CE. It was an invention of late ancient Christian writers. From a historical point of view, therefore, we should not retroject the equation of demons with fallen angels back into the minds of New Testament writers. Angels became demons only beginning in the second century and then only at the hands of Christians. And this is so interesting to me because part of I've said, I've said this before, but I'm so I've for years, I've had this idea in my head. That's like, I want to strip away 2000 years of tradition and of fiction and of all these other religions that came in and brought their things into Christianity and just understand what the new Testament writers believed, what, mm-hmm. like what the original Christianity was uh, yeah. you know, not Catholic versus Protestant or this or versus that or whatever. I just like, I want to understand what the Bible writers thought and believed yeah. uh, and that this is important to me. And one other side note is that I feel like this all happened at the same time that the, cause this, again, we talked about this, but like second temple uh, Jews believed in Enoch, the early Christians, all the early Christian uh, leaders and writers believed in Enoch, Jubilee, Jasher, these things. And then it stopped around the third century. And then by the fourth century, I think, or end of third century, they wiped it out, right? Mm-hmm. Like we didn't have Enoch till 1947 because some kid threw a rock into a cave and heard a clink and was like, oh, there's a jar in there. And they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. So again, Enoch also says like, this was not written for my time. This was written for a very yeah. distant future generation. And I think it's possible that that is what we're talking about. Um, again, times of Noah, right? Yeah. We're, we'll live in the times of Noah. So I just find that interesting that the same time they wrote out all these things that are going to make sense of that idea that angels and demons are not the same was the same time they had to reject Enoch and they had to reject yeah. Jasher and, and all these other things that are making a very different case. So in my belief and in the belief that I think that the early Christians had from what I can tell is that fallen angels are fallen angels. Yeah. That's what they are. Those the, are the old the, gods. These, yeah, exactly. These are what we would know as the old gods. They wanted to, they came down, they rebelled from God. They wanted to be worshiped and they had people build golden bulls and they had people build all these altars to them in, in all the places all over the world. And this is the thing that we're always talking about that all these ancient gods have been around from that time. They've existed and they're, they want to be worshiped as gods. Uh, so that is what fallen angels are. And again, you even said it, like even when you were raised, it's like Lucifer is different than the demons, but why? Like no explanation, right? Yeah, just so much bigger. And he's the only big baddie. Which is just also being... not biblical, by the way. Like Baal yeah. has talked about, Moloch has talked about, yeah. Asherah. Uh, so fallen angels also have physical bodies. And we know this because they had sex with human women. And we know this, we know that not even fallen angels, but angels have physical bodies because they've eaten in front of people. They kicked people to be awake. They broke down doors and let Peter, you know, take, took Peter's chains off and let him out of prison. We know that they're physical as much as people want to say they're not. Mm-hmm. It's just there. But demons, according to Enoch and other sources, are the disembodied spirit of the Nephilim. So again, these are the unholy creation of human and fallen angel hybrids. And the idea here is that these are so outside of God's plan that they couldn't house a human spirit, that they're, they're, they're this abomination, right? So the idea that this, I think this also comes from that guy. He says the idea that demons are the disembodied spirit of the Nephilim is a storyline echoed by the writings of many early church fathers, as well as the Jewish historian Josephus. Further corroboration is found in the apocryphal books of Enoch, Jubilee, Jasher, the testimony of the 12 patriarchs and the book of the giants. So this idea comes from all those places and here's actually what it says in Enoch it says, and now 
the giants produced from the spirits and or sorry. And now the giants produced from the spirit and flesh shall be called evil spirits upon the earth and on the earth shall be their dwelling and the spirit of the giants afflict, oppress, destroy, attack, do battle. Sounds like all the spiritual battle we've been warned about from all time and work yeah. destruction and the cause and cause trouble. They take no food, but nevertheless hunger and thirst and cause offenses rise up against the children of men and against the women because they had proceeded from them. Hmm. They proceeded from women, these Nephilim. Also, it, it kind of makes sense. The idea of why, why demons want to possess people, why they want a body so bad, right? Yeah. 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 It's, it kind of, so one thing I want to do, uh, make sure we're, we're making distinction here. Cause there's a lot of push in our culture, um, to do this deconstruction of theology right. to say, Oh, you grew up in the church. Here's why everything that God ever said was wrong. And there's a lot not, of, yeah. exactly. We're it's not, not trying to do that. There, there's a lot of that out there. There's a lot of, did God really say there's a lot of, well, actually, if you look at the context, it actually means the exact opposite thing of what it clearly says. No, what we're trying to do is say, you've read the Bible or maybe you haven't read all of it. Um, and you probably overlooked some things that are in there that are really clearly in there because it didn't make any sense when you read it. So you just skimmed past it. And that's what the human brain tends to do. The things that don't fit the pattern that we've accepted, we tend to just kind of skim over. And it's easy in a book like the Bible where a lot of things sometimes don't, don't make sense. There's a lot of mystery in how things are. So one thing we want to say is like, have you considered that this is clearly written here and you just didn't know what to make of it at the time. But if you add this fact pattern in, does it make sense? And the context that the writers themselves were referring back to. And yeah. that's exactly right. We're, this is not deconstructionist theology. I'm very much against that stuff. Mm. Um, but I think what you said is so perfect because the next thing I want to talk about was Genesis 14, which is one of those books that if you read it, you're like, okay, you made war boring. Like, how, how did you make war boring? Uh, and it's because of that. It's like, it's there. And that's what I want to point out is these things are there in the text. And the problem I think comes from names. This is the hard part. And you explained this to me before, but you want to explain again, like reading the Bible in, in English, like what that's kind yeah. of like. So what I, what I've, how I've heard it described by people who, who do know the original languages is that it's like English, reading it in English is like reading it in black and white and reading it in the original languages and understanding those languages are like reading it in color. You, if, if you watched your favorite movie, if you watch Lord of the Rings in black and white, you're going to get everything you need, right? There's nothing right. wrong with your experience. You're going to get the whole plot. You're not going to miss anything important. But if you watch it in color, you're going to notice things you didn't notice before. You're going to be like, wow, there's like a whole lot of stuff going on here that I just didn't see, didn't appreciate. Um, I think that original language and, and the historical context should draw us closer to God and give us more understanding as opposed right. to breaking <clears throat> something that we, because a lot of times people will, you know, say, well, this word meant this other thing in a, in a way to try to get you to believe to try to means, make it mean the opposite. And that's the right. thing I want to point out is I don't, that's not what I'm talking about. And that's not what I'm trying to do. I actually don't right. think the Bible really does like the yeah. problems. We have different translations. Most of the time, it doesn't really make a difference. It the difference I'm trying to make here is the adding of distinctions that's there. Um, and, and this is, this is so important in the names. That's the point I want to get to is like, when you read a name, this is the part of reading it in English, you read Abraham and you read Abraham. That's a name. But when Jewish people read it, they read 
oh, Abraham, that means the father of nations. So they had more context. It doesn't change the story. It's just like, oh, that like unlocks it a little bit more, right? I think that's probably a way to look at it. It's like, oh, it just makes a little bit more sense. And everything that I'm gonna talk about in this next chapter with Genesis 14 is backed up in the Bible itself. So Genesis 14 is where Abraham goes to save Lot after he's taken captive. And all these kings of different nations, Sodom, Gomorrah, all these places, they start warring with each other. And it's like, these kings match with these kings and they went here and they killed these people. And they went to this town and they killed these people. And it it's kind of dry in a little bit in a way until you realize that uh, that it's it's dry in a way until you realize that all of these names you're being told were reading in English. Right. So once you do that, you know it's uh, it, it 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 makes more sense. So right. with this, uh, you know, there's this giant war between all these kings, and when I say giant, I mean actual giants. So let's talk about the giants here. We've got the first one that comes up is the the Rephaim. This is, this is when Abraham went out and this is like right before Abraham meets Melchizedek, he's going out and fighting these five, it's five Kings, right? Uh, it's four Kings versus five Kings. Yeah. So there's, okay. I'm trying to remember which ones are on which side, but it, it's, I think it's the four Kings. Yeah. I think the five Kings are the Nephilim ones or whatever. Right. Okay. But like, yeah. So with the Rephaim, if you actually look at their name, it means the dead ones. And that one's just jumped out to me like right off the bat, like the dead ones. So I looked this up and it actually in other parts of the Bible, Rephaim is used to refer to the spirits of the departed dead who dwell in Sheol, which is even crazier because Rephaim's used a lot in the Bible. The problem is you read it. We've talked about this before. You, you actually said this earlier with the Hades thing, right? Like Hades, Tartarus, and then you've got the other one that are all translated to hell in the yeah. modern English Bible, but they're not all the same word. Like they'll use Hades in some places. They'll use Tartarus and other places. And then it's the Valley of uh, Gehenna is translated yeah. as hell as well. And that cuts Sheol is another one that gets well, sometimes that doesn't, but like that one gets translated as hell sometimes, but like the Gehenna one, right? Like it's a reference back to like where they did child sacrifice. And I think having that reference is yeah. so important. So with the Rephaim again, used many times in the Bible, sometimes it's literally just translated to giant, which is another way we know that they actually believe that these were Nephilim. So and we also know that the ancient Jews believe that these uh, were giants because the Greek word, the Jews, when they translate it to Greek, use the word uh, titanes. I think it's how you pronounce it, whatever, which is the English derivative of English drives it into Titan. Uh, and it's also used. Uh, yeah. So like but they translate themselves like, hey, here's how we can translate to Greek. The Greeks have Titans. Titans are giants. Uh -huh. That's how we'll translate it. So. Uh, multiple, multiple ways you can look at this. That they're saying giants, even modern English Bibles. A lot of times we'll call them giants in other parts of the Bible. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of a problem with the Nephilim stuff is like Nephilim, Raphaim, a couple of these, they all just get translated giant again, loses a little bit of context. doesn't change. doesn't mean that we're deconstructing yeah, it doesn't change it, just, anything important, but right. There's a lot right. of meaning there that you can definitely miss. Yeah. And it's not to say the Raphaim aren't giants. It's just like, there's more more to it, I think. More to it. Um, another thing that I found interesting is there is the King Og, or Og, the King of Bashan, and he is, when you read it in some versions, it'll say, for only Og, King of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants, but the word is Nephilim. That is the word they're translating to giants. So it's telling you that Og, the King of Bashan, or sorry, Raphaim, says Raphaim. We're talking about the Raphaites. Uh, and then it goes on to say, indeed his bedstead was on iron was an iron bedstead and it was nine cubits in length and four cubits in width according to the standard cubit that's Deuteronomy 311 so 
Uh, nine cubits is 14 feet. And I really don't think they're just trying to say this dude had a big bed. Yeah. I think they're trying to tell you he's a giant there. I mean, it gets translated yeah. to giant, some versions, but like he sleeps on about his 14 feet tall, big dude, right? He's yeah. filling this bed. But what's even more interesting is that some translations of bed translate to sarcophagus or coffin. And which. I'm like, <laughs> which is so crazy. Cause like when I first read dead ones and I'm reading about these guys, I'm thinking like, is this where the, the ancient myth of vampires comes from? Like you've got these guys who are, you know, talk about in other places and, and times as being these shamanistic, like wanting to raise the dead. Uh, they're called the dead ones. This guy sleeps in maybe an iron coffin. They're giants. Like, is there something more to the giants in the Bible than just the size? But is like all of this, like it, it is there all of this like spiritual warfare that's actually being represented in this way of like all yeah. of the, the tropes that we've carried for thousands of years of spirit, you know, spiritual warfare vampires and, and werewolves and all these things are they in the Bible? And that's the thing I'm again, I'm, I'm asking yeah. the question. I'm not saying like, this is definitely vampires, but I find it interesting that maybe the idea of vampires came from these dead ones. And there's more in the Bible that actually kind of lends to this idea. Again, not saying they're like the way we think of vampires, but maybe where this myth came from. Uh, and it says in Psalm 88, 11 and 12, it says, do you work wonders for the dead? Do the Raphaim rise up to praise you? So making another reference that, the Raphaim are, are death worshiping, like spiritual shamanistic type people you can read in some places. And then in Isaiah 26, 14, I find this interesting because I found a lot of uh, dissertations on this, this part saying, you know, it, it's weird, you know, like the way that it's talked about. And it says the dead will not live. The Raphaim will not rise. You punished them and brought them to their ruin. You wiped out all the memory of them. And it's just, it keep, it's kind of giving this idea that the Raphaim rise from the dead, but now huh. God has made it. They will no longer rise from the dead. So it just, again, really makes me think vampires. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's the whole thing with Abraham is so fascinating too, because he, he fights this battle, right? And it, it's so, it, it's like, it, he's this random guy who's just living his life. And then he's like, no, we're going to get all these Kings together and fight this battle. Cause it's important. Mm -hmm. And then afterward, he meets this kind of mysterious stranger in the Bible. And, and this person looms really large throughout and his name was Melchizedek. And the, mm -hmm. the, the understanding is that this was Jesus that he met pre that, that Melchizedek was a, was an ancient priest of, of the true religion that it was like a, a spiritual, like you did the right thing. Um, and Melchizedek gives, Abraham a tenth of every or no Abraham gives gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything he has he's like oh this guy is yeah. God or will will be or whatever however you want to Christophanies are so Christophanies being when Jesus appears like he did in Ezekiel we talked about yeah. on our revelation stream the other day yeah yeah they, they can be or no not Ezekiel Zechariah Zechariah yeah yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's in that's in the weeds a little bit, but it's For fascinating sure. to me how deeply spiritual that whole sequence was. The war, right. the meeting of Melchizedek. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's funny because it's just like it's so much more interesting when you're like, oh, these are not just human kings. Like even in our translation, we we know them as giants. Yeah. And then beyond that, maybe they're even weirder than this, right? Right. So like we go on to, to read some of the other names of uh, the Zuzites mean roving creatures, which is really weird. <laughs> 
weird, weird name for these other giants, roving creatures. Uh, we have the Emites, which are known as the Terrors. Uh, if you translate that name, Amorites are the Sayers, which I, I don't know what that means. Uh, I mean, if we want to like take out, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Then we have the Horites, and this is the next interesting one. They are called the Troglodytes. It's actually where they get the word Troglodyte from, and Cave Dwellers. So is this trolls is, you know, and, and we have other wow. reference to giants that are cave dwellers. When we think of the giant of Kandahar and all of these other six fingered, red haired, 14 foot tall giants that are around today that people were reporting in different areas of the world. Um, you know, Afghanistan's not all that far away to think that this could be like a, a, a descendant of the Horites. Yeah. Um, then we've got the next one, which is interesting. So we brought this up before uh, a little bit on our, on our Dogman episode. And it's the, Amalekites, they and this one's this is like the whole reason I went down this rabbit hole because I saw the names and I was like, okay, whatever. The dead ones was interesting, and then I was like, Amalekites, people of lapping or licking up. That's what their name translates to. People who lap or lick up. Like like werewolves, like dogmen. Like that was my first thought. So I'm like, maybe I'm just thinking too much into this. And then I stumbled upon St. Christopher, and I was like, I've talked about St. Christopher before. Like if, if people missed it, 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 in our bonus, like a part where we go over to just talk with people and it's a little bit more unhinged. It's not the, what you get yeah. on the audio, but you can get it. If you go to conspiracypill.com and there's a full thing there, we talk to people on rumble and odyssey. As soon as we move it over there on our Dogman episode, I was like, there's this guy named St. Christopher and in the Dogman lore, there's the red eyed dogmen and there's the blue eyed dogmen. And some people say that some are good and bad. And is there some historical context to this with, with uh, this Catholic St. Christopher who's always depicted with a dog head. And I was just like, this is so freaking weird. So like, here's a picture of St. Christopher and all the artwork. And this is Catholic artwork. Like the church accepts, like he is an accepted saint and all of his pictures are this. Oh, sorry. I got to scroll the other way. Are this dog headed dude, right? <sighs> Guess what tribe he Insane. comes from? Uh, one of the ites comes from the Canaanites, which is where the Amalekites come from. And I, I'm not going to make the stretch to say Canaanite is where we get the word can canine from like some people. I don't know. I don't know if that's like the origin oh, of it. <laughs> Maybe it is, but it's Maybe. weird, right? You know, it's like Canaanite. That's a Malachite guy that has a dog head. His story really quick is a legend of St. Christopher told of a dog headed man who's converted to Christianity, leaving behind his animal nature, gaining speech and seeking to convert others. He is, of course, martyred for his beliefs after doing his best to convert everyone he comes into contact with. And the story wow. goes on to basically say, like, this was an unsavable lost soul who was who, who who God found a way to forgive, even though he's just like dog huh. man, dude. Right. So it's like weird that the Catholic Church is like, yeah, no, we have a dog man saint. That's amazing. And he's a Canaanite, which is where the Amalekites come from. So the Catholics <clears throat> say what you will about Catholic. I mean, I've been Protestant my whole life, but the longer I go, the more I want to say it seems like Catholics preserve so much of this truth mm -hmm. and it's it's almost like it was a double-edged sword on the yeah. one hand they were able to preserve preserve so much truth about the spiritual war world and on the other hand they have been dark into the spiritual warfare and, and so many in the church have fallen to it in really yeah. dark terrible ways yeah I've said this before and I'll say it again because I think it's relevant here like my belief on this whole thing is that we needed a reformation and we never got one. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I know it's like the splitting the hairs between Protestant and Catholicism. But I'm like, no, I, I really think that we've yeah. missed something. We've lost something. We left something behind that was good. And instead of reforming the church, we had a revolution 
It yeah. really shouldn't be called the Reformation. It should be called the Revolution. I know it's a Catholic line a lot of people say, but I'm like, I, I think it's true. It's hard to look at it any other way. They didn't reform the Catholic Church. They left right. it. It didn't happen. Yeah, it didn't happen. And and after they left, we just kept splitting forever. And now churches yeah. just split over the stupidest stuff. And yeah. the idea that splitting is the answer um, was planted back then. And and. It's it's a real it's a real I it's, problem. I think it's been bad, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, we all. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I wanted to make a point back to young adult literature because that's where this this is, is strange there nexus. Dog of, man, young adult literature. So there's a strange nexus of like young adult literature has been driving this for a long time. I mean, Twilight came out ages ago. Hunger Games came out ages ago. But it seems like the truest like prophecy in literature, which. I'm all about like prophecy and literature and, yeah. and, and these prophetic artistic types mm. pulling down this stuff from the ether. But um, one of the most, most popular YA authors series um, includes um, Nephilim, vampires, werewolves, fairies i mean basically everything didn't, didn't even know that except that's perfect considering the title of this episode yeah and the 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 kind of line that she keeps coming back to throughout is all the stories are true yeah, yeah. as you know characters are like oh i didn't realize this was part of the world because a lot of a lot of it mm-hmm. is is characters who are just having their eyes opened yeah. to it they're given the sight and then they can see it's like oh this thing exists yeah what did i tell you all the stories are true Right. So, <laughs> so we got some other biblical giants I want to talk about real quick. The Anakim, they were called the long neck ones, which I'm not sure what that means. Just interesting. Um, and they were descendants of the Nephilim. And we know this specifically because of numbers 1333. And this is the thing that I wanted to, to get into as far as like the second incursion type stuff. Right. So okay. in numbers 1333, it says, and there we saw the giants and this word is Nephilim and the sons of Anak, which would come of the giants also the word Nephilim and we were in our own sight and, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers as we were to their, in their sight as in we're like grasshoppers, these giant literal giants. Right. But what's interesting about this is I'm not, I'm not a, a, an expert on, on this language. So I'm taking this from, from people who are uh, the, the two Nephilims in this, that the, you know, we saw giants sons of Anak who come from the other giants. The second time that the Nephilim is written, it's the same exact way that it's written in Genesis six. So what it's saying is that these Nephilim are Nephilim, Nephilim. I know people say it differently come from directly from the ones before the flood. So it's, it's just telling you straight up, like, you know, in language really plainly that like these ones are not the same. They're not first generation. They were not a recursion, but they are, you know, they didn't come from a work. They didn't come from after the flood is my point. They weren't like remade again after the flood. Uh, they, their line goes back to, and I said earlier, I was going to say a third version that most people don't talk about in Jubilees. I think it is. It says that God left 10% of the Nephilim even after the flood to continue to test man. So huh. th- there's that version of it. Um, I don't know. That's just one yeah. possible thing. So for context here, what we have is, God freed is the Israelites from slavery in, in Egypt, brought them through the desert, brought them to the promised land, the land he had promised to give them and said, okay, go in and take it. 
And they were like, can we send some spies? Exactly. And we're going to talk about Moses yeah. next, but that's exactly what happens. They, they see that there are actual giants there and they're like, yeah, these we're like grasshoppers next to these dudes. Cause that is what, that yeah. is the context of numbers right here. They're coming back reporting. We're like grasshoppers next to these dude, uh, these dudes, we're not going to kill them. And what's so interesting about, about Moses and this whole thing, these 40 years in the desert, is it again, like it's in the text. I'm not making this stuff up, but it's, it's right there that they're going around. They're fighting all of these ites. And it seems like God is making them clear out this infestation of these demonic people before they can take the promised land. When they get to the promised land, they meet these really big giants. Again, it talks about that guy who's 14 foot tall and sleeps in a coffin. So maybe they're meeting like giant vampires and going, yeah, no, you know what I mean? (laughs) Right. But it it just, it seems to change the context of this 40 years of wonder because it's 40 years of war. And I just want to read what it says in Deuteronomy 712. It says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you are about to enter and occupy, he will clear away many nations ahead of you. The Hittites, the Gisharites, all these ites are Nephilim. Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. These seven nations are greater and more numerous than you. When the Lord your God hands you these nations over to you to conquer them, you must completely destroy them. Again, this is the only time, only it's talking about the ites, the Canaanites, and, and these, as it says, does it say, you will completely destroy them. You will make no treaties with them or show them any mercy. Saul got a similar message, which he denied and which is why his kingship was taken from him where he says, now go and attack the Amalekites, the dogmen, right? The, go, go kill the werewolves and then totally and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men, women, children, and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. And it's those last two lines that are uh, sticking out to me. If, if, if Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father, it's hard to look at Jesus and say, but his father was like a genocider, right? Like, yeah. unless you're realizing like maybe this idea that these are not even human, like, like legitimately, yeah, maybe not even legit. human, that these are like demonically infested vessels. Mm-hmm. Like, like they are because they're infested with these Nephilim spirits. They don't even have a human spirit that you have to kill them all. And then it says the cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. And it makes me think, did they corrupt the flesh again of these? Like, is, is there the possibility of the corrupted flesh of creatures coming yeah. through in the Bible as well? And I'm, I'm asking questions. It's not like a definitive statement in any means, but yeah. interesting stuff. It is interesting too, because the word that God uses when he's giving this command um, is like devote them to destruction. It's not just kill them all. It's mm-hmm. basically kill them all as a sacrifice to me. It's like a religious killing right. it's a holy war it's a literally and a holy war like moses and war. abraham are literally holy wars and you notice i think it's fascinating it, i never really even thought about this before but the israelites were never like wow that's harsh because whenever, they knew the stories they read yeah, the things right yeah like, whenever they pushed back it was because they were scared not every because time. they thought it was too much every single time and they didn't say hey you gave us these rules like to, to like, you know, in warfare, we're not going to kill the women and children. We're not going to do these things. Yeah. Why are you telling us a break? They're not asking because they know. They know. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, I think. It's, too. This is just one of those lost in translation things where we've mm-hmm. just lost the context for this. And mm-hmm. as soon as you know it, this is, I mean, again, not, it's not deconstruction. It's adding context that they, that the biblical right. writers are trying to give you by saying, as it was said in this, as it was said here. Yeah. Right. And it, it draws you closer to God when you know that context as opposed to saying, oh, <laughs> Instead of having to just overlook and be like, well, I don't really want to talk about Deuteronomy because it makes God look like really bad. Right. 
right? You know what I'm saying? It's like, no, this, these like, um, these are monster hunters. It's crazy how the books that we like to ignore have the most stuff in them. That's really important. Like people like, I don't like numbers. That's where the good stuff is. Well, again, I just pointed out earlier, like why the genealogies are incredibly, I couldn't have done this work without the genealogies, Mm -hmm. which is like, I don't want to sit there and read genealogies, but when you understand them, you're like, Oh, the sons of, uh, you know, a Anak or whatever. Like if you trace that back, this is a Nephilim line of, of people. Uh, super important stuff. And it's right there in the text. It tells you who his father was and who his father was. And it comes from the Ham's line or whatever it yeah. is. And it's like, oh, now, now I get it. Right. And I I, I want to continue this idea because I, I, I'm i putting this out there. And I, it, again, everything I'm saying, you know, I'm not saying this is like I, I'm asking the questions more than anything, but I have these questions about the book of life that come up in, in Revelation that make mm-hmm. me think that there is this possibility going back to what I've said before that you can actually create abominations that do not house human spirits, that they might, that they could actually be the spirit, like the housing of spirits of other things. And in revelation, and I'm going to do this in chronological order that it goes through in revelation. There's three mentions of the book of life that are important here. Uh, So revelation three, five says the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out from the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And I think that the using of blot his name out is interesting. Uh, yeah. not saying write it in for the first time. Yeah. Blot his name out. So every, it, it seems to be saying that everyone has written the book of life and you can have your name blotted out and then you can have it washed white as snow. And in yeah. revelation 2015, it says, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire, the lake of fire talking again about Tartarus, you know, the same imagery like this, this deep part of hell that these, these demonic beings, the watchers are held in. This is where it says a Satan, that Lucifer or Satan is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. It talks about a different thing for, for humans than it does for, for Lucifer. If anyone was not found written in the book of life that people are being blotted out from, I think that's interesting. And then in revelation 21, 27 to close this out, it says, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does not, who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the lamb's book of life. Again, saying some people are not written in there. Unclean and detestable things are not written in there. I don't know if it's a stretch. It's just uh, putting the idea out there that maybe this corroborates the idea that the Nephilim, as it says in Enoch, are unclean spirits Hmm. that are not written in the book of life, that that is where demons come from. It seems to be corroborated by three books that are also looked to from the authors of, of the Bible. So that's kind of my, my thought here. And I said monster hunter on purpose earlier because this whole idea came to my head out of fiction again. I know uh, there's a book series that I love called monster hunter and it's written by, written by Larry Korea, one of my favorite authors. And in one of his books, nemesis, I'm sorry, I'm going to spoil this one a bit for you, Abby, because I know you want to read these. I apologize. I really apologize because I have to, Okay. Um, but it's important. It's still really I good. Bet I could predict it anyway. Maybe. Probably because I've told you enough anyway, so you probably could. So in in one of the books, Monster Hunter Nemesis, there's this thing called the Nemesis Program where the government has this test tube people that they're building, these people, these bodies that they've completely created to be super soldiers. They're not born of anything. They're just created. And they finally figure out, hey, we've created these massive, super strong bodies that can heal themselves, do all these crazy things. Uh and, you know, we program them. They're like chemically programmed to like do our will and do all this stuff. And what they don't realize, the government doesn't realize 
is that they're all infested by demonic spirits. <laughs> and the main demonic spirit name is the fallen. Do you know what Nephilim translates to? The fallen. Fallen ones. Yeah. So the fallen takes over this body that is not a creation of God, that is complete test tube creation of science. Uh, and it's, yep. just, it's just crazy. It's like, here we have this idea again. And I think there's been so many times I've read Larry Korea. And then later as we're doing our research, I'm like, oh, this guy actually researched this stuff and like came up with these ideas from other things. Um, it, you know, it's, it's just fascinating to me because we've talked about this before. It's like a lot of these things. Right in his first book, he talks about the idea of like the, the old gods, like going through different names throughout time. And he talks about a lot of different things that are really interesting to me. Um, but I just, I like that idea. And it, then it made me think of a few other things. And this is, this is the whole point of bringing all these disparate things together is like, are there creatures and are we creating creatures that could become houses for spirits? And the first one that comes to my mind is the greys. So this is what I've never understood about the greys. And again, just just to, if you're not familiar, you know the greys, the little gray aliens that you think about that have the circular spaceships. They okay. have a they have a race. They're, they're called the greys, and they're talked about by so many people. And to me, I think we probably agree on this. To me, I don't think you can just offhand like go. Nobody's actually seen these things. There's so many credible and so many numerous accounts of people seeing these things, and their accounts just match up. People who aren't. Googling this stuff online, people before internet are from different parts of the world are coming into contact with these creatures and reporting the same things. But what's always been weird to me is that the grays are not born. Like this is something that keeps coming up. These are sophisticated, self-aware machines created by a long vanished extraterrestrial civilization is what they hmm. tell people. They are organic robots. This also came up in our uh, episode about the Raelians. The, he yeah. calls the the grays, and in his version, there's different colored ones, but they're all the grays. It's like the same type of thing. Uh -huh. They are not born. They are created organic robots. And in other, lots of other stories about the grays, they say that they come from some other place called like Zeta Reticuli, and that their consciousness comes from somewhere else. That They were built to house a different consciousness. And the way they explain it to humans is that, well, it's just because like time travel and light speed travel and stuff like that, we couldn't live. So we send these organic robots and then like transfer a spirit into that thing. It's gray lore. It's everywhere. It's everywhere in gray lore. Yeah. Uh, and I've always thought these things were demonic anyway. So I found some other stuff that makes me really think they're demonic. Just want to bring up in 1917, the occultist Alistair Crowley described meeting with a prenatural entity named lamb that was similar in appearance to a modern gray Crowley believed that he had contacted the entity through a process he called the Amalanthra workings, which he thought allowed humans to contact beings from outer space and across dimensions. There's a very popular ufologist right now. And I get sent this stuff from him all the time named Stephen Greer. Have you, have you heard the name? I've heard the name. He's got documentaries. He's really, really popular. Guy looks like an alien. Uh, <laughs> he just looks weird. Autumn. He's all into like astral projection and remote viewing and things like that. But also he believes that he can call the aliens to him, that he can call down the grays and they'll come visit him in spirit form. Like there's all these stories of grays possessing people too, which is interesting. Demi Lovato's most people. Mm. Stephen Greer taught Demi Lovato how to call down these aliens. <laughs> alien beings as she's talked about and guess who she taught it to Kesha Kesha's new hobby is summoning aliens. Thanks to Demi Lovato. Great. 
Right. So <laughs> exactly. Kesha and Demi Lovato are 2021's UFO summoning dream team, according to Billboard. Oh, man. The High Road singer told E.T. on Thursday that her chat with Lovato uh, for her podcast, Kesha and the Creepies, inspired an unusual new hobby. I love the conversations we had. There were a couple books she mentioned and an app she mentioned what? that I immediately downloaded. I told my family, all I want for Christmas is for us to meditate and try to channel extraterrestrials. And they're like, okay. Does that like, again, does this sound demonic to you? Does this sound like demonic beings? Yeah. That's my whole <laughs> point. Is that not crazy? If, if you, if you think, I mean, if you just look at the way that Jesus talked about the unclean spirits, I mean, he called them the unclean spirits, right? He called them demons. The way that he talked about them, the way that they're talked about in the new Testament is this concept of, and Jesus talked about them a lot. If you look at his people, people yeah. kind of just skip over those parts. Yeah. But he talks a lot about like, if you, th there's this one parable people don't, he, he tells a parable about, about somebody who um, gets rid of their unclean spirit. And then he's like, it's like a house where you clean it and then you don't put anything good in it. Mm. So it just goes out and gets its 10 friends and then you're worse off than before. Cause you're just yes. filled up again. It's like nobody you, talks you, about that one. You can't be empty. You, yeah. you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work to cast the demon out if you're not filled with something else. Cause it's just an empty space. that's inviting them. It's fascinating stuff. That's the thing. Like what if you could create like, cause if demons are having to battle with, with people to get inside, they always need a body, right? Like right. what if you could create bodies uninhabited, uninhabited mm. bodies, uh, and, and that's the thing, like what are, what else are greys known to do best to abduct humans and harvest their DNA? It's in every what? story of greys. They, they abduct humans, they possess them, they abduct them, they harvest DNA. They are trying and, and they tell people that's what they're doing. And they tell people they're trying to create better bodies. It's crazy how evil is constantly telling you who it is. Uh -huh. And just nobody believes them. Well, because you sound crazy. If you talk about gray right. aliens, you sound crazy. And it's like, it doesn't matter that it's like literally tens of thousands of people, credible people all over the world that have been seeing this for a long time. And it's ancient too. You said right. earlier, what was the thing I wanted to circle back to that you were talking about uh, with another being? Oh, there was something we said early on in the episode. I want to circle back to it. My, my thought was like grays maybe presented. Oh, we we're talking about the, the gargoyles, right? Right. Well, what if they presented themselves differently in those times? Like th th we know what that they're, they're liars. The yeah. Mm -hmm. Like what if the grays have always been around? Like we've seen it in all these different cultures throughout all of yeah. history. They've got things in the sky in, in Ireland. They called them fairies, right? In, in Mexico, they had these little black men that would live in caves and they would fly and abduct people in, uh, you know, Egypt, you had bird men in, in, uh, the late 1800s and early 1900s in America, you had giant bird things in the sky. Right. And then as soon as the 1950s roll around and we've got sci-fi movies, we get little, little gray men with, with circular spaceships that right. look just like the count of a 1950s sci-fi film. Cause they're lying to you, you see, presenting themselves in a way that you can wrap your head around and believe and understand. Yes. You see, and this is why uh, a lot of you, PJ has it for some reason, but a lot of you have read Rick Riordan's um, Percy Jackson series and the way that he kind of describes how normal people see spiritual, you know, supernatural events is, is the mist. And it's like, this is what's actually happening. 
but the people who are seeing through the mist are seeing this other thing. They're like superimposing something that makes sense to them on top of what's actually happening. And so, you know, maybe that's this giant fight between these two, this God and this, this monster, but they're just seeing an oil spill or they're just seeing, you know, they're, they're seeing a natural disaster. I, I hate to sound all like Eastern religion with this. Cause I'm not trying to at all, but like, it makes me think that there might be something to the idea of tulpas, which is like mind created. I, you know, I'm not talking about like harvest your destiny and all that. Like yeah. BS. I don't believe in that. My thought in tulpas is mm-hmm. this idea that we are projecting onto them what we want to see and they're giving yes. it back to us. And I think you see this throughout history because you see similar fact patterns of lots of people seeing a certain thing. And then when the technology changes, you see lots of people seeing a different thing. So in one generation, they're seeing lots of witches riding around on brooms with weird lights in the sky. Obviously, that wasn't well, real. That was the other thing I was going to say. That's how they explain lights in the sky was witches with yeah. lanterns. Yeah. And then... And, you know, at each at each stage, you see something different, but it's the same general fact pattern. Mm-hmm. And it is. It is it's throughout. It's ancient and it's worldwide and it's been yeah. forever. They just present themselves differently. They're, 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 again, like that's my idea. The Tulpa is not that you're actually like creating a, a manifesting or whatever that BS is, but like that you are projecting your vision of them because you mm-hmm. saw a 1950s horror film or, or sci-fi yeah. film. And they're just like, yeah, cool. People believe that. Let's go with that. Right. Yeah. But I've I, mentioned this on the show probably a billion times now. And you're tired of it, but Owen Barfield's Saving the Appearances. This was a friend of C.S. Lewis, and he wrote a whole book about how there's an idolatry of our minds where we build up these. We the world doesn't make sense to us, so we impose an image over it to save <clears> the appearances, and it never quite works. And there's always things at the edges that that we just like don't look at those things, and we're just constantly saving the appearances. John dies at the end. I remember the book that I was trying to remember a few weeks ago when I said like, there's people who see things and yet their mind can't handle it. So they're like, either don't see it or they see something different in its yeah. place. And I've witnessed people do this. I'm like, John dies at the end. That's the one that, that talks about this a lot. Yeah. So it, another interesting <laughs> uh, fiction series, that I think hits on some really interesting stuff. So my idea, I want to continue this idea that maybe we're, we're trying to create different things that could house these spirits. Mm. And that actually brings me to this like whole craze of designer babies. It, I, I, it just feels so wrong to me for so many levels. And we could look at it and as in like, Hey, on one level we've gone from, Oh, this is the handmaid's tale to let's actually use, you know, women as birthing pods for gay couples. And that's not the handmaid's tale for some reason, even though that's way <laughs> more in line with what it is. Um, but no, I just, I worry about this idea of like genetically editing babies, right? These designer babies, like, it makes me want to ask the question like with if, if epigenetics are the way that like someone like Nimrod became a mighty man, became a Nephilim, right? Like, is there enough genetic editing that you could do to people to, to flip on this DNA? And here's the other thing that comes up a lot in research is this idea of like satanic ritual abuse is mm. that people who have survived it will, will come out and say, and you could call them crazy if you want to, maybe they are, but they will come out and say they were trying to, through abuse through through things like you know monarch and mk ultra and and all these things the satanic ritual abuse they're trying to like create enough trauma to turn on these certain epigenetic markers and someone will just say it's nephilim like they're trying to find yeah. people who have r- r- dormant nephilim dna maybe this is the entire reason why 23 and me and all these places want to collect every person in the world's dna because they want to know who has the genetic yep. markers they can flip on to create this th- this army of soldiers i just want i know this video is like a little bit uh, 
Well, go. You want to explain this video I was going to play? I don't want to play it just for no. I, I wanted to make another literary feature. reference. Go ahead. This idea of trauma flipping a switch to um, unlock your what special powers? I mean, this is it's this in is, everything, isn't it? We just read a book everywhere. about it. It's it's every. I mean, it's miss. It's in Mistborn by Brandon yep. Sanderson, which is a massive, like one of the most famous cons- uh, conspiracy fantasy series in the world right now. Um, a lot of superhero stories. I was say superheroes are about your DNA being altered and unlocking some superpower to become a mighty man. Yeah. Right. <sighs> anyway, go ahead. I want well explain this video to uh, really quick because okay. I want to show. That I know it's a little bit. Go ahead. So this is a this creator. Um, if you'll scroll just to show the name of the creator real quick. Uh, um, I don't know if it says it. It well it, the the person who put out the video. Oh, I think, if I minimize it. Yeah. Um, oh, Hasham Al Ghali. Ghali. Al Ghali. So this guy created this. Um, it's he. He has made it clear this isn't real. This isn't something that exists. This is a concept that he has. I mean, it's more or less a a prophecy. Yeah. So this is called Ectolife for people listening. This is the world's first artificial baby womb factory. And I just want to play a little bit of this because like, I can turn this down. But like, this just seems like something we would do, doesn't it? first artificial womb facility. I mean, artificial womb entirely by renewable energy. Ectolife allows infertile couple to conceive a baby and become the true biological parents of their own offspring. It's a perfect solution for women who had their uterus surgically removed due to cancer or other complications. With Ectolife, premature births and C-sections will be a thing of the past. Ectolife is designed to help countries that are suffering from severe population decline, including Japan, Bulgaria, South Korea, and many other. Oh my gosh, sorry, that just brings up some stuff for me. But like, they're, they're presenting this idea of like, Let's, you know, yeah. let's create this thing. It's a good thing. It's actually wonderful. I have these like cute little pod designer baby farms uh, and they bring up Japan, which I find interesting. There's a story I want, I want to cover in the future about Japan having this town that didn't have a child born to it for like 18 freaking years. I mean, let's talk. I mean, this part isn't going to be on YouTube anyway. Like, let's just talk about it. Like we're, we're, we're so obsessed with collecting DNA, editing DNA of babies and then giving people who are not babies, these shots that we know are altering people's DNA and what's it doing? Like what's the number one thing that we know is happening with the, with the jab is it's freaking people are becoming infertile. Yeah. And this is what That's the handmaid's tale is about. undeniable at this point. Yes. I mean, if you missed it, the handmaid's tale is about. A, it's not a, a bad a, book. It, people yeah, just use it the wrong way. A society has been on birth control for too long and has become infertile and they have become so desperate for children that they have swung the pendulum too far in the ultra religious pharisaical direction, Mm -hmm. taking the Bible out of context, using it as an excuse to do what they have recognized that they need to do, which is somehow save their society by having children. Right. And so the few fertile women that are out there become the handmaids. And it's this strange moral battle between the way that they're justifying it to themselves and the way that they're like, this has to happen or humanity dies out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I think I actually, I thought I was going to read the handmaid's tale and hate it. And I did. Yeah. 
I did. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, in the book itself, it literally tells you that they're misquoting the Bible on purpose. So people are like, oh, right. this shows what would happen in a society that follows the Bible. I'm like, it's it's the opposite of that. And it's a matriarchy, by the way. That's the other thing that yeah. nobody gets. It's a strong matriarchy. The men yeah. are subject to the women in that society. As yeah. much as people don't think that, like, yes, the, the handmaids are, are subject. The men are miserable. The men are miserable because they're being forced to have sex with people who are not their wives to give their wives children because their wives are so desperate for children. It's the wives it's are the matriarchs of the society. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's totally yep. not what we're told from Hulu. <laughs> but uh, I, I want to. I mean, I wanna, even Hulu. I it even the people who only know the story from Hulu are being are are being dishonest about what yeah. the story is about. I've never watched the Hulu one, but I'm sure they're being dishonest about what that is. Because if they followed the book at all, it would not be what yeah. they're telling me it is. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just the whole designer baby thing. It's like, is there a point where you can genetically alter something enough that it's not in God's plan the way that the the, the angels did? Because there, there's two things I want to get to, and I'll get I'll circle back to that point. And there's two more uh, things in the Bible that I want to talk about. And one of them is, uh, well, sorry, this first one's not in the Bible, it's Jubilees, but I think, I think it's important. So, uh, in Jubilee five twelve, it says, and he made for all his works, a new and righteous nature. So they should not sin in their whole nature forever, but should all be righteous each in his kind anyway. Uh, basically this idea that at some point were people like after the Nephilim had th- this, this, uh, did this abomination, did God change all of human nature so that way it couldn't happen again. And maybe that's why they have to find all these other ways. And it could, again, you don't even need that. You could just say it's because of the punishment of locking them in Tartarus. And it's like so terrible, but it's just another version that people have put out is like, is this, is this talking about the idea that God literally changed the nature so it couldn't happen again. And maybe he did it for animals too. Maybe that's why when you, you made a, a, a horse and a donkey, you get a mule, but the mule can't mate. Yeah. That's interesting. It's interesting. If if we're to believe that they corrupted the animals as well, maybe something had changed at some point that made it impossible. So they have to find a way to to create a, a something to house them. And there's a few different ways they could do it. So uh, back to the whole idea of a second incursion. Um, you know, was it no longer possible to breed a man and angel after this? That's why it also might not make sense. And are the Nephilim stuck trying, or sorry, I'm just reading my notes. It's what I just said. I was just want to make sure I wasn't missing anything. Yeah. Um, We're so, tired, you guys. It's all good. It's all good. It's our second time recording this. And I was like, I'm saying things that are in my notes and I'm looking back at my notes going, did I say it? I want to make sure I said it. Uh, so the last thing I wanted to bring up was the, the idea of mixing of iron and clay that comes in, in Daniel. Oh, and it says I'm so excited for this because I have always <laughs> wondered what that meant. Me too. And a lot of people I've seen have talked about it being about the Nephilim or about AI. So I want to bring okay. this up. So it says, and whereas thou sayest uh, iron mixed and, and whereas thou saw iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave to one another. Even as iron is not mixed with clay. Okay. Can we go back and get more context for that? So this is from the the dream of the statue. I literally had. Yeah, I I forgot. It's Daniel two forty three. I'm just gonna look it up so I can look at it too because this is so fascinating to me. This has been a um. Right, oh, you guys. We love the Bible. Um. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's really fun. <laughs> it is. So I'm not. Yeah, but like. It's just the idea that is it says in here. I'll just read this one more time. This is the King James version. Uh, it says, and where thou say, 
Uh, where thou saw iron mixed with clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave to one another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. Is the oh idea God. there that, the, it, you know, you cannot anymore mix these things and they have to find another way to do it. Okay. They can't mix the iron with the clay. It's not going to work anymore. You can't mix the angel with the human. It's not going to work anymore. I'm not saying that's what it means. It's It's a question. It comes up in this stuff. That is how some people are interpreting this. Okay, so let's... Let's just back up a little bit. So this is coming from a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. Basically, in the story in Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, and it freaked him out so much that he demanded that his prophets tell him both what his dream was and the interpretation, because it, it was bothering him so much, he didn't want to give them room to BS it. He wanted to be sure that someone was telling him the truth and mm -hmm. the only person who could do this was daniel daniel was the only one who could say this is what your dream was this is what it means and it was this statue um that had all the different uh, nations right so you got like bronze yeah. and iron so basically it's going like you if you look back most of this is easily interpreted retroactively yeah. as in we have, you know, Alexander the Great, and we have this, and we have all these empires. Is yeah. the final empire, the one of mixing iron and clay, about Nephilim? Is this about the end okay. times army is, is the question. It's, okay, so and the, does the it last... Relate? Yeah, go ahead. Um, and as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. Huh? It's, it's the marriage part. Like yeah. everything else yeah. sounds, cause I a hundred percent agree. I'm not saying this is the interpretation. hundred percent agree. It sounds like a divided kingdom and yeah. that's all it is. But sometimes there's things in the Bible that mean more than one thing. Yeah. And when it brings in the seed of man and marriage and things like that, it makes you wonder. Some people wonder is this about an end times? Because this is about the end times. It's about the end times, you know, governments. But is it like about this government being controlled by mm. these not fully human things that are that are having trouble mixing, right? What? Oh, a government run, run by lizard, <laughs> lizard people? people? Yeah, I know. I was going to say it too. Uh, and the last thing I want to bring up before we go over to, uh, we'll end the part that's for all you audio listeners. We'll do a little bit of a bonus thing. Uh, for Rumble and Odyssey, you guys can watch there. You can come over to Locals. Uh, but the last thing I want to bring up is like, is this is this also reflected in Joel chapter two? I hear this brought up a lot with Nephilim stuff, and I just want to read this about the army of locusts. I know that some people have tried to make this like a this super Christian army. It doesn't sound that way to me, huh. um, but it's this is what it says. So in Joel chapter two, it says an army of locusts. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in my land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming and is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Already, I don't know, to me already, it does not sound like whatever's coming is a good thing. Um, like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was seen, or such as never was in ancient times, nor will ever be in ages to come. Before them, fire devours. Behind them, a flame blazes. Before the land is like a, gold, a garden of Eden. Behind them, a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses. They gallop along like Calvary with a noise like that of chariots. They leap over the mountaintops like a crackling fire consuming stubble like a mighty man drawn up for battle. 
At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. They charge like warriors. They scale walls like soldiers. They march in line, not swerving from their course, for they do not jostle each other. Each Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through the defenses without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses like thieves. They enter through windows. Before them, the earth shakes. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon are darkened. The stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at my head of at, at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number. The mighty army is beyond his com- uh, the mighty and mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? So huh. some people interpret this as being two different. Ar- it seems like that to me, but I think it's something I want to delve further into. These last few things I bring up are not yeah. really so much. My ideas is like these things come up a lot and I think they d- deserve greater study, but like the idea of them being, you know, these not really men, like an army of locusts, an army of the, these oh. horse like men. Um, it's just an idea I want to put out there. Sometimes when we get to the end of the episodes, I like to like ask more questions than I'm answering at this point. Cause I think there's further yeah. research to be done. So I apologize for, you know, comes I want to, I want to say, um, sometimes when I'm reading scripture, particularly then, but sometimes with worship music too, there's this kind of an instinct to open my hand <laughs> to That's receive fair. it. Um, and I think sometimes it's just, it's okay if we can read the Bible and not understand and like, just, just put ourselves in a, like, can I, I just want to receive whatever is here and it's okay if we don't understand it at this moment. This is also why I love our community so freaking much because sometimes we'll ask these questions and people will have these really great insights and they'll email us things. They'll be like, Hey, this is what I think about it. Here's some resources. Um, I'm not, we don't have all the answers. Like that's the thing about being a conspiracy (laughs) theory show. Like some people get so mad at that. So I, I, sometimes I feel the need to apologize where I shouldn't be because a a huge thing of what, what we're doing is asking questions and starting conversations. Some people don't like that. Uh, Mm. Unfortunately, that is our show. Something (laughs) other people don't like is that we're too humorous. We get that comment a lot. I'm like, well, you know, (laughs) you guys can lighten up a little bit. If you don't have some joy in your life, like I feel bad. If I I don't laugh, I'm going to (laughs) cry. So we're going to laugh. Yeah, I, I'm never going to get rid of the like making jokes. We had a few people unfollow us this week because I posted a, a meme that was a conspiracy <laughs> meme. They're like, I thought this was I thought this was a factual channel. I thought you were going to give us information. I'm like, we do that <laughs> and we have fun. Imagine you know? if you want to have fun. I mean, this revolutionary <laughs> revolutionary idea. idea of like having a laugh once in a while. So whatever. if you're on the right side, there's no reason why you shouldn't be enjoying yourself. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Joy is it's yeah, <laughs> you should have joy in your life, especially if you're a right. Christian. Like if you're a Christian without joy, you're doing it wrong. You know, yeah, <laughs> that's what I think. Um, but I do have one more question I want to ask. So if you're listening to this later and you want to hear this final question, maybe it's not, uh, you know, the, the, the grays or not just maybe it's not just the grays or designer babies or something like that. Maybe the Nephilim have found a home in A.I., that is the question I want to ask. So if you want to hear about that, are is the AI controlled by the Nephilim? Come over to, to, to Rumble, come over to Odyssey, come over to conspiracypill.locals.com and find out the answer to that question. And until next time, and I'm sorry I did this episode this way recorded, but it was so much fun. I, I'm actually having a good time, even though we've been here for like yeah, four hours trying to make too. this work. Uh, and we'll be here a little bit longer. But until next time, take it easy, everyone. God bless. God bless. 